Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today on the Epic Podcast, we've got a maverick, a hustler, and change maker. He's led foundations, st- founded startups, and lectures, and still it's time to get a PhD. Welcome to the show, Jovan Tan. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I didn't expect that to, 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 to be a bit of a lengthy introduction. I mean, I, I, I completely forgotten that I taught uh, for a period of time, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> So here's the thing, Jovan. Uh, when we first spoke, I remember that uh, you were telling me a little bit more about your life story. I was really captivated by the fact that you started very early and you have such a multitude of things on your plate right now. I really want to just get behind all of that and understand how all of this started. So uh, would you be able to just start by, let's say, for example, how you actually and where actually you started your career? How I start my career? Um, I read somewhere that you started at fourteen. Yeah, but where do you read it from? <laughs> I I I don't I I don't think that's public information. <laughs> well, I did plan to interview you, so I have my ways. Well, it's not something that I usually talk about. Uh, but yes, yes, I I started work. Uh, fourteen. Uh, that was when I was in uh Carl's Junior, right? Um, uh, I was at the. Uh, the outlet at Fais Plaza, and I think it's long gone already. Now it's replaced by yeah by by some other FMBs over there. Um, started work very young because of my uh, family background, right? So um, you know, we 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 don't grow up in a, a very well-to-do family, so we're just living from paychecks to paychecks. During my early school days, uh, we faced a little bit of financial difficulty, and, and that's when I decided that hey, you know, I just wanted to find a way to lessen uh, the burden of my parents, and so I decided to go out to to just find a job. Um, and being at fourteen, right, it's it's not so easy to just get a job because technically you're underage, right? So I had to went around, uh, plead, and and literally beg my way through. And thankfully, uh, Carl's Junior uh, decided to take me in, so I was there for for a couple of years. Uh, I mostly worked at night uh, after school, so it was quite hectic, you know, so I had early morning school, you know, then I still have CCA, and then most of the time it's, it's just working at night. The pay is miserable. I think it's about four, four, four dollars. Four fifty an hour, right? Back yeah, then? it's about four dollars an hour. It's, 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 it's sad, like, imagine you work like five hour shift, that's like only 20 bucks. Yeah. So and then you spend sad. half of it on a meal. Yeah, precisely. No, okay, so the good thing is the good thing is if you if you work there for at least a shift, uh they actually cover your meal. But the but the way they cover it is they give you a burger or set or something like and and uh, you, you don't want to be eating burgers every day, right? <laughs> Somehow you will get jaded of it. So so yeah, so that's when I started working, uh well kind of very informally. And then, you know, after my O-levels, I got a bit more free time. I start to ask myself, do I want to continue in a job that only pays $4 an hour? And so I was very curious, uh, what else can I do? So I went out to look for jobs where, you know, they can actually pay more. And, and it's not and it's not tagged by per hour, you know, right? It's something that, that comes with uh, additional uh, variable component. And that happens to be sales. Because sales, every item you sell, you can ask for a commission, right? So I started off with Epson first, right? The printer brand, right? So selling printers. Uh, largely was involved in those IT shows, you know. So the thing is, because I was selling printers, right? I was with Epson selling printers. I was actually all the way at the back. And then every time I just look out at the front, I realized that there's a huge crowd in front. But there's like nobody looking at my printers. <laughs> you know, so, so I end up selling very few printers. And I started to ask myself, hey, you know, since I'm going to put in the same amount of effort to sell, right? Do I want to sell computers? Right. So I went to Tating, you know, I went to here, went to ask people, you know, hey, how much do you actually earn selling computers? Then I realized that, oh, each printer I sell, I get about $5. And if they were to, you know, buy in cartridges together with it, then that's maybe additional $1 or $2 per in cartridge. So at best, I get maybe about $10, right, for a printer. So, okay. But for a computer, right, at that time, and this is sometime in uh, 2013, 2014, uh, a computer, a PC, you know, can get a commission of about twenty dollars a piece. So that's good. That's good money, right? That's almost twice the price, you know, of the of the yeah. best paying uh, printer. So I went to I went to Tating, and then I decided, okay, you know, since I'm going to put in the same amount of energy and effort to sell a printer for a computer, I'm going to sell computers. So that was when I made the switch uh, to join ASUS, right? ASUS, uh, the Taiwanese computer brand. So yeah. similar arrangement, I was largely in, in IT show uh, and 
in uh, the shop floors. All right. So I was there for a year or so uh, before before I was actually you know caught back by one of the account manager and then you know uh, the account manager actually asked me say hey you know we we have uh, we are revamping our entire uh, sales department structure right we don't just want promoters we 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 want uh, people who are more actively involved and engaged with the respective stores so that's where he told me that they are revamping uh, this program or, or this uh, career path into something what they call a channel representative. So which year was this when you were doing this? I think this was 2015. This was 2015. No, sorry, my timeline was wrong. Um, I'm in year one, 2011. So 2012, I was a channel representative. 2013, I became a product manager. Yeah, because 2014, I enlisted to army. <laughs> Right. Okay. Right. So twenty thirteen. So this twenty thirteen that would mean um, about nineteen, about nineteen twenty. Wow, nineteen years yeah. old. And you're doing this already, yeah. Yeah. This is. So what happened was uh, the department was looking more into, you know, commercial businesses, right? Into more commercial sales because ASUS has always been known, you know, to be uh, one of the leaders in the consumer business. But not so much in a commercial space, right? Commercial space is largely dominated by people like Lenovo, right, with their ThinkPad series, right? And not so much of Asus and all the other brands. So Asus wants to move into this space and they were trying to look for a product manager, right, to help them to anchor this entire portfolio. So one of the most craziest things that I ever did, even to date, right, was when I found out about this um, and just nice, you know, the stars align such that uh, during my polytechnic period, I also... Um, needed, you know, to, to, to get myself attached to a company for internship, right? So I got this six-month, you know, period uh, that I needed to do internship plus um, this new direction that ASUS is pursuing. So I took this opportunity, you know, I went to, I went to the country director straight, um, very nice Taiwanese guy, you know. Uh, I went to him and I told him, I said, hey, you know, give me the role. <laughs> I want to do this and I have been with you, you know, as a, as a promoter, climb my way from a promoter to a channel representative. You know, I spent uh, more than two years with you already. You know, that, that is uh, that's a testament to my loyalty to the company. So you just got to give me right. this. You got to give, give me this role, right? And because I already know your products at the back of my head, so give me the role and, and uh, let me try. Uh, he took me in and then the next step was to go back to school and tell school, you know, tell Singapore Poly that, hey, you know, actually I got a job offer. Right, I got a job offer, and and I was going in as a as a full time employee, not just an intern. Just to look into the, I would say that the traits of an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. uh, looking at that, you're you're pretty much a go getter. Are you you see something? I mean, from the start already, your first thing was that I need money. How am I gonna get money? Get sell the higher value, higher yield product so I can get better commission. Then after that, then you're looking at okay, I need a full time job. I get this. Then I'm starting to spearhead something. And you're given the opportunity because you basically spoke up to go get what you wanted. Yeah, I, I think this is, well, I mean, on this, I, I think just want to emphasize, I think this is a very important uh, entrepreneurial trait, right? And also there's this, uh, there's this phrase called, um, us and you shall be given. Oh, I totally believe in it. I swear by it. Sometimes you just open your damn mouth and ask, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen really, right? And and it's also important that, you know, even if you don't get it, at least your intent has been communicated, communicated across to the other party. And the, party, the other party knows your intent. And if the other party, you know, sees an opportunity for you, right, that's relevant to you in the near future, he may even come back to ask you, hey, do you want this? Right? Or do you want an introduction, you know, from me to, to, to get this, right? Right. So from this point, right, like, okay, you were given the opportunity to uh, head up the e-commerce side of things, all right, to, to spearhead the idea. Then how, how did you end up going to becoming a VC and also starting foundations and also uh, starting up your own company? How, how does this even happen in this span of what, the span of seven, eight years? Oh, okay. That's another long, that's another long story. I think for the past 10 minutes, I only told a very small part of my story. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, right, you've got 15, what, how many years of experience in industry, but you've done so much. That's what intrigues me a lot, uh, the, the most. You're fully making use of your time. Yeah, I mean, you see, the thing that I always tell people is uh, time is a single most important commodity, right? And it's about, um, I mean, everyone have 24 hours. It's about how much uh, do you want to pack into that 24 hours, 
you know. So for me, I, I, I squeeze a lot of things in. Uh, I try to do a lot of things. I get, try to get a lot of exposure. And I think that uh, that grind, you know, that hustle uh, attributed and, and brought me to where I am today. I don't say that I'm successful. Right? I always try to avoid that because I think success is, is, is uh, defined, you know, separately, individually by how you choose to define it, right? right. So at this stage, I don't think I'm successful, but I do say that, that uh, you know, given... Uh, the amount of time and effort. There's this joke, there's this running joke that I was sharing with my friends and, and, and siblings also, um, that you know some people, they say that they have five years of working experience, right? Just like maybe in my case, I have maybe about uh, five, six, seven years of working experience. The amount of work that I do, I think is way beyond seven years because people don't work like 80 to 100 hours a, a week. Most people only work about 40 to 50, right? And, and on the other side, I'm like doing about 80 to 100 hours a week. Right? Maybe not 100, that's for Elon Musk. Um, but mine is maybe closer to 80. So if you were to just double that up, actually, I think in terms of exposure, I got a lot. But in exchange, there's also certain uh, sacrifices lah. Yeah, along the way. So back to your earlier point, um, when you were talking about, you know, how do I end up from, you know, being the head of e-commerce at, at ASUS, right, in Singapore, all the way until... Um, doing work as a VC, as a venture capitalist, and beyond. Well, actually, you know, a lot of things are, are very unexpected. I just go with the flow, and, and it just leads me to, to, to this career path. And what, I want, what I'm trying to say, and what I mean by that is, you know, when I was leading the e-commerce team, you know, I had, the, I had a lot of opportunities to work with people like, Rakuten, you know, uh, Lazada. And at the time, Lazada was very, very new. They were just starting. So um, they were actually way smaller, uh, don't have much bargaining power, unlike who they are today. <laughs> so, so we were working with Lazada, Kuten. Uh, in the past, uh, we were working with Groupon before Groupon became Fave. And all this, uh, you know, different e-commerce players, we were working with them for different campaigns. And in fact, with Lazada, we... we took a bold move with them. We launched our, um, you know, the ASUS official e-commerce store with Lazada. And I, I'm proud to say that I'm also part of the team, you know, that got this going. So because of this uh, appointment, because of this role, I got a lot of exposure into the e-commerce space, right? And at that time, I was about 19, 20. Um, so the year after, I think, uh, 20, late 2014, um, it's about the time where I need to enlist, right? Because, I mean, as Singaporeans, we all have obligations. We need to, <laughs> we need to you know, uh, do our national service. So I have to enlist. And very unfortunately, I have to resign and go um, to leave the company to, 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 for my national duties, right? So along the way, um, before I resign, you know, I look back at uh, what assets I have. <laughs> you know, so I, I determined that, okay, you know, I had a bit of experience um, doing e-commerce. You know, I know... I, I mean, one phone call away, I can reach the then CEO of Lazada, right? As well as the then, uh, you know, country uh, manager of Kuten. Right? Very easily, one phone call away, I can get to them. And then I say, okay, I know all these people. And, you know, if I enlist, right, as a recruit, uh, you, know, you, you only earn about $400 allowance, right? I say, where got enough? Ayo, at that time, I was already drawing 10 times, 10 times the allowance. <laughs> so I was like, where got enough, right? How do I sustain myself? So, so that was when um, I decided to, to dwell into entrepreneurship. And that was really the first time, my first taste and my first exposure into entrepreneurship. So what I did was I said, hey, you know, I, I, I know all these people. I know how the e-commerce uh, functions and how they operate, right? How to operate an e-commerce business. And, and that was when I started my own uh, e-commerce distribution firm. So that was the very first business I started that failed terribly, burned heck a lot of money. Uh, why? Because I was very complacent because I thought I knew everybody, right? I thought I knew everybody there and they could just easily help me, you know, put my products right at the front page, etc. But uh, one thing that I learned very quickly is that, you know, my relationship with them, it's from the standpoint of ASUS. Like ASUS, has a brand presence, very big, you know, can command a lot of premium, can have the bargaining power. But when I step out and do it as an individual, I lose all of that. Now I'm just like a, you know, one, two man show, you know, I'm trying to, 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 to say, hey, give me the front page of Lazada, 
Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> credibility became an yeah, issue. Yeah, so credibility became an issue because I no longer have uh, ASUS as a backing. But at the time, I was very, very complacent because, because I thought that I knew these people. So I didn't consider the fact that uh, it was because, you know, um, ASUS as a backing was so important. But rather, at the time, I was just thinking, oh, since I know you, you know me, you, we worked together before, right? You would uh, at least help me out as an individual. But it turns out, it's not because they, they also have to surface all of this back to, to their respective boards, to their management, and all of them will ask, who is this unknown chap that you're trying to help, right? So it becomes a, a, a roadblock. And before all this thing happened, you know, uh, because I was quite confident uh, that they would actually help me, I, I went to Inc. and uh, exclusive uh, distributorship with one of the US uh, mobile accessories company. Right. So you know what happens when you are an exclusive distributor, right? There are certain requirements uh, you need to meet. Uh, there's certain uh, MOQ, you know, minimum order quantity that you have to fulfill and certain sales volume that you have to transact every single year. And naturally, I cannot hit any of them because, you know, that there is a, there's a difference in power play. I can't you know, just put myself up there. Especially I have to just start like with everyone else, you know, from the bottom and uh, work through a you know, small unknown seller all the way up to become a power seller, right? So during this period, the realization that, you know, you... You without the backing of a company, right? It's really like a slap in the face. And that's where I realized that uh, it's better to, you know, be more independent, uh, build yourself up, you know, your own character, your own persona, you know, your own competencies, your own skill set, you know, rather than always relying on people. I think that's that's one big lesson that I learned very very early on, and and it's also a learning about, you know, sometimes uh, in life, uh, don't do gang ho lah. You know, you want to try take baby steps to try. Like, there are many other ways, you know, to approach uh, e-commerce business, right? And you don't just start off by saying, oh, you know, let me sign an exclusive distributor deal. And then you end up suiciding and killing yourself. So there's a lot of lessons uh, that, that I learned from it very, very early on. And that was how I transited from, from uh, you know, from product manager and as an informal head of e-commerce at ASUS, you know, one of the largest MMC in the world into becoming an entrepreneur, right? So the underlying purpose, I really, the underlying purpose is because I needed money. I wanted it to, to become, you know, something that can be self-sustaining and then maybe just pay myself 1-2K a month. And why not, right? It's good to have, right? Probably be one of the richer few, uh, you know, younger recruits <laughs> out there, right? So, so that was right. the original intent, but, but of course, it, it, fall, it fall flat through la, along the way. But ever since, you know, I was just very intrigued by this whole entrepreneurial scene. Because if you recall back, point one of the first few points that I was sharing about on that time is the single most important commodity, right? That all of us, we got 24 hours mm-hmm. only and there's so much that you can do, right? In a particular day. Then, you know, along the lines of this uh, premise, this basis, uh, this principle, you know, you start to, I start to ask myself the question of um, what do I really want to do in life after I, you know, uh, done with my national service, Right. And I tend to prioritize, and until today, you know, I tend to prioritize uh, time over money, right? Because to me, it's the You know, you can always earn money along the way. Um, and it also depends largely on your lifestyle and your material needs. If you really need a lot of materials, you know, material needs, material gains, then that's another whole uh, different issue to tackle. But if you don't need, you just want a basic lifestyle. To me, it's uh, what we say in Chinese, uh, you know, <laughs> just enough. Yeah. But would you consider yourself frugal? Ah, frugal. Ah. Because now, now, okay, if we're talking yeah. about money, right, then the, 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 the whole idea of wealth management also comes in. You know, that uh, there are two kinds of people that come into play, right? One of them is those that, for me to have a certain lifestyle, I spend this much, I have to make much more. The other one is, I'll make as much as I can and spend as little as I can. Well, I think in between. Uh, I think it's more of a... Well, I don't call myself frugal. I think it's an essentialist. You know, you 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 need ah. the essential stuff, right? And and um, to me, so so now we are on this topic. I I, I just share with you. I got uh, I got men- different mental models like, that I use to approach uh, different scenarios. So in the case of say finance, right, the mental model that I adopt is to always take a pause and ask myself, do I need this, right? So you see, in the in the instance of food transport, you definitely need them, right? So you, you just got to spend, right? And hmm. and then, you know, if you want to go for better meals, more luxury, that's more of a one, right? Because there's no longer the question of need. Do you need to eat, you know, right. a $20, $30, you know, sashimi just to stay alive? You don't need, right? You just need you just need food, food, basic food, right? So that's all sort of stuff. And, and even for, for the clothes that I wear, um, 
you know, and, and every other decision, financial decision in life is always about do I need them? So I think uh, if you look from this perspective, you know, it's more of, a, you know, going for the essential stuff, right? So not so much of, of uh, frugal, yeah. Hmm. Okay, okay. So going back to the whole uh, e-commerce venture that you had, right? I mean, exclusive distributorship is one thing. The learning curve is huge, right? At the same time, I also wonder like, at that age, we would have made a lot of mistakes at the time. Uh, did you invest a lot of money in there and get burned or what happened during that time? And then how did you basically close off that chapter and move on to the next one? And what was that next chapter? Well, definitely make a lot of money. Uh, no, 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 sorry. Not make a lot of money. Not make a lot of money. Okay, correct that. <laughs> this is on the record, right? I have to say. No, they don't make money. But hell, a lot of money. <laughs> burn a lot, uh, lose a lot. Um, I think, you know, to put it in perspective, I think at, at a time uh, uh, when you're 20 years old, you burn about, say, five digits worth. Uh, I think it's, it's quite painful. Yeah, la. because we don't, we, we didn't understand the yeah. value of money. Like, you saw it come in, like, wow, party or yeah. whatever. Well, I know? think it's tuition fee law. <laughs> I mean, everybody have to pay tuition fee at some point yeah. in life. I just happened to pay it earlier yeah. la, and, I, yep. and I learned a lot. I learned agreed, a lot agreed. from it. So, um, lost quite a bit there. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, so after losing much and, and realize that, you know, um, the e-commerce venture is not going anywhere, um, you know, in terms of not really having the resources uh, to continue, you know, not putting in much effort and, and things that is probably not going anywhere, you know, uh, then I decided to just kill it once and for all, right? Just okay. kill it, get rid of it and just move on in life, right? So, so of course, I, I think... Um, you see, so so back to this interesting point, yeah, on um, essentialism, right? About mm. having a reason for the money is that you see now after I burn this hell lot of money, yeah, on on this entrepreneurial venture that did not work out, right? At least, at least I walk out, you know, uh, with learnings, so it's justifiable spend. <laughs> Right, so at least I get something exchange. I think the most important thing is, uh, or rather, the most fearful thing is if you if you don't um, learn from your mistakes, right? Then you're just wasting time, wasting money, wasting resources, wasting everything, right? And then you're right. bound to repeat them again, and then you will get hurt somewhere somehow again, right? So at least I I learned, uh, and I documented it, right? It has always been you know up there, you know, as a mental note. So just be very careful next time in how I approach business, right? Not too gung ho, you know, do some homework first, right? You don't just like dive straight in like that. Um, so close that right. off, wrap that up. Uh, then along the way, you know, started a couple more, started a couple more businesses. Um, so I, 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 I actually had a short stink um, with uh, Microsoft. But before I, I, I end up in, in Microsoft, I also... You know, I already knew quite a few people there because during my polytechnic days, I was involved in this uh, organization called the Microsoft Student Partners. So it's like a student organization uh, where Microsoft uses to kind of like propagate their stuff <laughs> on campus. <laughs> so, so I was involved and I was actually quite a good friend uh, with the, the, the campus lead. And even today, he's still a good friend. I mean, tomorrow I'm even meeting him for dinner. Right, to catch up with him, right? Oh. Today, a very good friend. So, uh, both of us, so he, he's always a very technical guy um, and he was also with uh, uh, Microsoft during the period where I had that very short, you know, uh, two, three months thing. And during that, that, that uh, time, um, he was a, you know, tech coder, right? And um, both of us were going, because we are about the same age, so uh, both of us was going to NS and then we happened to met in camp, right? Well, very surprisingly, right, uh, out of nowhere, you know, I bump into him in camp and then I realized that we are actually in the same camp, right? So, <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's slightly after I closed off this entire um, field, you know, uh, e-commerce venture. And then that was halfway through my NS. Then I met him, uh, then we started to, 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 to catch up, talk a bit more. And then I found out that he's actually quite interested to do his own business or so, right? And he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to, to, to be a software developer. So he wanted to go into the coding stuff, building websites, building applications. And that was when we decided to, to start a company together right in NS. Well, actually, we shouldn't be doing that because that's moonlighting. 
So we told ourselves yeah. we are not going to get a pay out of it. So we take it as a voluntary work, right? But we did incorporate. Uh, we did incorporate the company. It's a very beautiful company name. Until today, I still tell people about it. It's called Poof, P-O-O-W-F. Um, so Poof is the sound of magic, right? So the logo mm. that we have is actually a, a bunny in a magician's hat. <laughs> and so what we were trying to symbolize is that this is a place where the real magic happens, you know, where we build we built shit tons of uh, applications, websites, and, and different stuff. So it's kind of more like a software development house. So we started that together. Um, he's mostly running the, the, the business now. I'm still a co-founder, still holding a small minority share there, helping him with some check and balance, right? Uh, but he's running it by himself now. But that's kind of the second business that I got into after the first one failed, right? Uh, the good thing here, the good Hi. thing here is because of the lessons that I learned, right? So... So this second business, I never commit so much money up front because it's largely a service company, right? So, so it's more about using his expertise, his skills to make money <laughs> and for me to go out and you know, find people that wants to take out our services, right? So, so, we, so we learned that. We, 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 we learned through that. It was a very enjoyable experience also. And, and even though I'm not very actively involved in the company right now, you know, still meet him on a regular basis. You know, uh, we still talk about plans and uh, he's running it well, I'm not sure if he's running it full-time, but he's very, very involved in it and I'm still there to support him. Like. And I think, you know, that's another side about entrepreneurship. It's not just about uh, when a business fails or when you leave the organization, you no longer, you know, get attached to it. Uh, sometimes you still do. You still want the best for your partners, right? And it's about how you can uh, continue to support them in the journey. So, so uh, that's for me. I'm, a, I'm an independent director there now. Okay, okay. And what is, what is the right foundation? Uh, well, it's another long story. Okay, be prepared for it. <laughs> wait, wait, you you got so much on your plate, man. I have yeah, to ask. Yeah, sure, sure. Happy, happy, happy to share. Happy to share. Uh, you can even break this podcast into multiple sessions already. <laughs> so, so the right foundation is a non-profit organization, right? So before the right foundation, okay. I actually was involved in a lot of other work. Also, I was uh, also in venture capital, right? And then after I was okay. in venture capital. I was associated with Thrive Ventures, um, one of the leading uh, regional you know, seed funds invest in, in early stage and they are more recently moving into sustainable, you know, invest, investing into uh, sustainability companies also. So I was involved with them for a couple of years and then uh, during that period, I actually got very interested in academic. So in academic work, in teaching, in research. So why I, got, why I got interested in academic is because uh, through my time as a VC, you know, we receive hundreds and hundreds of pitch every day, right? And then you start to realize that uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're always trying to be the me too. They're trying to say, hey, you know, I want to be the Uber of this. I want to be, you know, who else can I use? Uh, I want to be the Alibaba of that. You know, that sort of stuff, right? Everybody just want to be a copy of each other and then they're using all this kind of analogy to explain. And then you start to realize that there's also a lot of people that are into the tech you know, into the apps, right? Not so much of the deep technology like your medical tech or whatnot, but they are into, you know, let's build an app for this, let's build an app for that and they expect to raise hundreds of thousands, which, trust me, it's not possible, right? Uh, <laughs> they want to be a unicorn. Uh. Everybody wants to be Yeah, everybody unicorn. wants to be the unicorn and especially, you know, with the whole dot-com, after dot-com bubble, there's the app bubble, everyone's just moving to the app space. So I realized that, you know, all these people lack innovation. You know, what? And, and, and it got me very interested to, to really want to know and find out, you know, what, what is the fundamentals of innovation, what innovation really is and how, you know, we can apply innovation to make something more investable, make something more attractive, you know, and more defensible, right? Because the problem with an app business is, you know, even if you spend all day, all night to build an entire application, it is still an app. I can easily pay someone 100K and it can replicate the whole thing as well. So how are you special is the innovation age. So I got very interested in this whole area and I decided to, to go into the academic space to, I mean, think about this, right? What's the fastest way to learn something? Just read the literature, <laughs> right? Because people done all the work on it, right? So you just go in there and you just digest everything. And then you combine that with your on the ground observation and you suddenly realize that you are kind of, you know, like a mini expert in that space, right? So that was the approach that I did. Um, and that was when I, I managed to find uh, my current uh, mentor, who, who I'm very grateful, you know, that has been a very huge part of my life till today, right? Um, find her, and uh, she's a professor at INSEAD and NUS. I'll find her and uh, get to work with her 
and that was in uh, SIM, Singapore Institute of Management. So I was her, I was her teaching and research associate. Well, also a couple of years, right? Helping her to put together all the content, you know, create teaching materials and do research. And one of the research that came out, right, from my time in SIM was this business, you know, economic concept called restorative innovation, right? So long story short, the essence of restorative innovation is, illust is to illustrate the possibility that, you know, we can have innovations that are meant to do good, you know, across our health, humanity, and the environment. And yet, these products and businesses can scale and go to market. Because the, the, the problem here today in society is people tend to decouple these two. They tend to say that if you do good, you can't make money. If you want to make money, you can't do good, right? So what we are basically trying to prove is that with innovation, we can combine both together and we call the entire innovation economic model, you know, and research to back our position. So it becomes something that is very, very strong, something that's very unique. Um, and are you aware of uh, disruptive innovation? Have you heard of the term before? Please, please do share. Right. So disruptive innovation is kind of like the de facto, you know, the go-to uh, innovation paradigm, you know, um, that was created by a pro the then, you know, the late uh, uh, Professor Clayton Christensen of Harvard Business School, right? And disruptive innovation, you know, as an innovation model became so popular that a lot of businesses are using it in the decisions that they, they make. So they use it as a reference, you know, to decide. Uh, how to introduce the innovation to market and how to get them adoptable by as many people as possible. So when we when we did our research in restorative innovation, we kind of want restorative innovation to be like disruptive innovation, to not just be a shelf knowledge, right? Which most academic, you know, they have the they have their knowledge in the shelf, lah. So we joke about required shelf knowledge, right? Because it doesn't translate to real world application. So we want to take that out, you know, of the university and put it into our own uh, non profit think tank which we call it the right foundation right so so right foundation is a non-profit think tank uh, that does two things one it meant to advance the body of knowledge of restorative innovation because we want to continue to improve it to find more ways uh, we can apply it right like apply it to the different sectors right and then we want to take this knowledge and then convince the business leaders that they can you know in their particular sector do good make money and scale all at the same time. So this is what we want them to, to, to start thinking about. So the whole foundation is around, you know, advancing the body of knowledge, that's one. And two is about proliferating it. It's about changing the global narrative of innovation. To say that you don't, you know, you don't just innovate for the sake of innovating, right? But when you innovate, you can think about how do you, you know, introduce elements that can contribute to the betterment of society. So that is the right foundation, right? And why is right being called right, you know, R-I-G-H-T? Um, so right stands for restorative, R, innovation, I, to grow. So you, you remove, is a silent T, okay. To grow, G, humanity, H, with uh, technology, T. You know, yeah, yeah. So, so technology in the case, we are looking at it from a very economics term, whereby technology, you know, just refers to a catalyst, you know, that, that really uh, sparks the entire movement and, and notion forward. Yeah, so that is with uh, the right foundation. So I started the right foundation with uh, my mentor. So, so both of us, you know, until today, we are very actively involved in it. It's a, it's a non-profit non-partisan so so we are also very apolitical we don't get involved in any politics uh think tank and we constantly produce you know uh content you know update our model uh talk about you know uh innovation in fact both of us you know i think since uh, right foundation started in 2018 right we have been uh traveling around the world also to to talk about it so we have been we have been around, you know, to, to really spread the to really spread the message, you know, that, that you can always innovate for the good and not all innovation have to be disruptive because disruptive has a very negative connotation to it. Right. It's about when you innovate, you disrupt someone, you're actually affecting someone. But now we're saying you can coexist together and move, you know, towards a, a better, more, you know, sustainable, more equitable future. So that is uh the right foundation. Right. And uh, in fact, with the right foundation, you know, just just, uh, just being a bit uh, thick skin here, <laughs> just to do a quick shout out. Uh, we, we entrepreneurs have to have thick skin. Yeah. <laughs> so we recently we just uh, we were invited to write a textbook chapter 
you know, on uh, innovation for circular economy. So uh, we wrote that chapter, both uh, my mentor and myself, uh, we wrote that chapter, we submitted, it got accepted by one of the, you know, leading uh, academic uh, publications, one of the most prestigious journals uh, by Springer, right? So we got accepted and then our work will probably go live soon. And this is probably one of the biggest uh, contribution, you know, intellectually that we, that we are bringing to society. Yeah, so this is the right foundation. Ah, okay. I mean, you, so you've got all this on your plate right now. You've got the right foundation, right? You've, I mean, you're, you're also doing with, you're also working with the sustainable packaging yes. company uh, that, that you're with at the moment. Okay. Uh, are you still lecturing? No. Uh, well, I, I don't think I, I, I can do so much. La. <laughs> so, okay. That, that's what I actually wanted to ask you. Like, how do you manage like jumping in and out from so many meetings and many places at one time? So, um, so okay, so so let's talk about the lecturing thing first. Uh, so the lecturing I have I have left, but I'm still doing uh, guest lectures from time to time. So no longer uh, say uh, uh, uh teaching uh, associates. There's adjunct lecturing lah from time yes, to time. Yes, adjunct lecturing from time to time, right? Because um, I left SIM together with uh, restorative innovation, <laughs> so we took it out together. Yeah, so that's why that's why I, I left and to start that non-profit think tank. Uh, so how I do so many things at the same time? Well, actually now I, I also lost count of how many things I have. Five right now. Um, so first and foremost, I am doing my PhD in uh, NUS, National University of Singapore. Uh, it's a very interesting topic that I'm pursuing, right? It, it's also got to do with, uh, you know, innovation, sustainability. These two are my uh, research, you know, areas, right? My, my, my interests, right? And what I'm doing, you know, with my PhD is to say, um, Adrian, are you familiar with uh, life cycle analysis? Have you heard of this term before? Life cycle analysis? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Okay. So in a nutshell, um, every material have a life cycle, right? All right. So from how it's produced, right? What's the raw material that 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 is being synthesized and formulated into a finished product, right? Until it's being transported to where it's meant to be sold, right? The way the retail channels that people are actually buying through it, right? And let's say if you buy through uh, Amazon, Lazada, right, which is an e-commerce uh, platform, right? Then you add in your delivery as well, mm-hmm. right? And until you know, uh how the person is using it and post-consumption, right? So where does this you know, particular product go after that, right? So let's say in, a, in the thing like a food packaging, like a disposable food packaging, right? After you consume, where do you throw? And where does it end up to? Does it being sent to burn? Is it being sent to landfill? You know, or is it being sent to composting? So this entire thing is a life cycle of a product, right? So where my PhD is at, you know, it's um, coming from the notion that today to do a life cycle analysis is very, very expensive. And that's why you see a lot of new startups, a lot of new uh, innovations that are being introduced into our society today, right? They tend to say things like, oh, we are using X product, therefore we are more sustainable. But when you ask them how much more sustainable you are, they can't give you a concrete answer, right? Because to give you a percentage to take a certain position in terms of... Um, how much lesser carbon footprint, how much lesser energy you actually consume, you need to do a life cycle analysis, right? And that is very expensive. You get consultants to do it and you, and you know how consultancy works, right? You pay by the hour, it's going to just blow your pocket. Okay, so what I'm doing with, with my research in, in PhD, you know, is to say, okay, can we, you know, devise a way, a, a decision support model whereby, you know, uh, the startups and the companies can use this set of metrics, this set of numbers, and quickly, you know, chunk out a value of their life cycle analysis that is that it will be rather close or rather accurate to when they actually go through the entire process. So that would then encourage more startups, more people to introduce innovations that can make uh, quantitative claims. So they say, oh, maybe based on this metrics that they use, which is developed by myself uh, as part of my PhD, you know, this is how much um, they are actually, you know, how much benefit they are bringing to society by introducing it. Right. And, and then so after that, you're going to turn this into a proprietary software or service, and that's going to be... Oh, rep- maybe I can outsource it. <laughs> right. You're doing five things right now. Uh, yeah, how yeah. many of them are actually revenue driven and how many of them are non-revenue driven? Yeah, so I so I wanted to take back my my, my previous comment. I I, I think uh, I use the wrong <laughs> word. It's not it's not outsource. Okay, it's more of open source it. Open source. Well, I yeah, think for everybody to do uh. Yeah, I think Good. it can it can open source. So it may not precisely right. So it, so it may not be exactly uh revenue generating, 
Uh, but I think it, it benefits a lot. Lah. It benefits a lot to the people out there. I think at the end of the day, you know, remember back to the position that I took earlier that you know, time is always more important than money, right? Because it's the single most important commodity that you cannot alter, you cannot change, and everyone is, is fair, right? Agreed. You know, given the same amount of time, right? So, you know, to me, my, my, my core uh, mission as an individual, my core vision has always been about the next generation, about building a, a more equitable, a more sustainable future for ourselves and the next generation, right? And, and that's what I want to do. And I want to be able to influence people to think the same way and to pursue the same path, you know. Um, and that's how we are able to, you know, advance a society forward with a more sustainable agenda, okay. Because at the rate we are going today, people keep saying that, that the planet will die, okay. That's actually bullshit. Because at the rate we are doing, the planet will survive, but the human species will die. <laughs> you know, the planet will continue to move by itself, right? So, so it's about how we can encourage more people to think about... Um, sustainability from the perspective of uh, you know moving our human society forward yeah so that's that's always been my 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 core mission and and so now if i share with you the other four things that i that i do you realize that all of them are all connected to the same mission right so one of it the second thing uh is what i talked about earlier is right foundation Right, right foundations around that agenda and around that narrative as well is about how do we encourage more business leaders and the members of public to think differently about innovation, to encourage them, you know, to think about innovation for the good as compared to just innovate to destroy other people and win the market. Okay, so that's with uh, right foundation. Right, so what else? Okay, so you talk about the sustainable food packaging company earlier, right? So that company is Tria. Right, so Tria is a sustainable food packaging company. Uh, you know, to date we have served uh, more than a hundred million meals, you know, worldwide. Uh, some of our biggest clients are Crave, you know, uh, Four Fingers, you know, uh, Team Whole One. Right, they are all using our packaging, and we managed to help them to be more sustainable. So that's why you notice all these are paper packagings. Okay, uh, the so I'm with Tria as the chief evangelist. Okay. My role as a chief evangelist is it's kind of quite simple, okay? But it's very hard to do, okay? Simple to say, but very hard to do. So what I do is I go around talking about Tria. I tell the Tria story, right? And I encourage people to think differently about how they view disposables, right? And why this thing is very important is because you look at the whole COVID situation today, we are actually, you know, so suddenly, you know, all the green advocates, right? are saying that, okay, we want to go green, but for hygiene reasons, maybe let's just use disposable. I, I don't really want to share my plate with this other person. You, you get where I'm coming from, yeah. right? Right. So, so suddenly everyone is taking a, a back step and, and uh, everyone is thinking, you know, that disposables, uh, the low-touch economy will be the way forward given what we have seen with COVID also. So now with disposables going to be the new norm, we're going to have more and more waste. Right. So how do we take care of this waste? That's something that needs to be addressed. Right. And that's why, you know, when, when Tria invited me over to, to be their chief uh, evangelist to tell the Tria story, I gladly accept because Tria has a way to solve this. Right. So what Tria does, it has this entire ecosystem called the Bio24 ecosystem, right, where it can take the food waste, food packaging waste, you know, you don't need to segregate them, uh, but you take all of them, just dump it into one of Tria's digesters. And within 24 hours, it turned to compost, where the compost can use for your landscaping, you know, use for your agricultural growth, you know, grow new crops, reharvest them, and turn them back into um, your, your food packaging or whatever it is, right? So this is a truly circular economy that is relevant for the new norm that is coming post-COVID, right? So with Tria, I'm largely, you know, just talking about them. So it's a very uh, interesting uh, individual contributor role <laughs> that I have, right? So I got uh, full management of my own time and I just keep talking and sharing about the great work that they do. And in fact, I just want to point out um, that, that, you know, I believe so much in their work that in their most uh, recent, you know, financing round, I actually put my own money in as well. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, commitment. So I'm a, that's commitment, right? That's, that, that's very hardcore commitment. <laughs> That's really betting on the company, and, and, and that's why you know, you know, uh, and that's how I became an investor of the company also. So so it makes me you know even more proud to share the great work that they do. Yeah, 
So that's with TRIA. Okay, so I talk about TRIA, I talk about right foundation, I talk about PhD. Um, okay, two more, right? Yep. Okay, quick ones. Um, so the other one is uh, called Real Impact. Uh, so Real Impact is actually a company that I started, um, but it was masqueraded by COVID-19, right? <laughs> so Real Impact, yeah, very, very sad. Um, so Real Impact, we are largely in the certification space. And what we want to do is we are trying to drive uh, outcome-based you know, certification, right? So we call it an impact-driven outcome-based certification, right? Um, so to put this in the context for people to understand, um, one of our you know flagship product is called the zero waste event certification right and for that we actually partnered with very huge you know organizations like the united nations uh, environment program you know uh, mbs is actually a key supporter of our services and we have a strategic you know alliance with them right uh, grand hire is another one and what we do with all these people is uh, when people organize events right we come in to audit in real time to make sure uh, or rather to audit based on um, how the waste is, is produced, uh, how is it managed, you know, and give them a report to say, okay, you know, based on this entire setup that you have and is running, right, you are how many percent zero waste and what are the measures that you can do to improve. So we are kind of like a, a hybrid of consultancy and a certification. And the reason why we were able to gain a lot of traction pre-COVID uh, was because today, and rather the problem in the industry today is that you get a lot of uh, certifications that are system-based. So what they do is they say, okay, you have this system in place. We expect you to use it. And that's it. Finish. Full stop. So you just pay uh, every year, you know, just pay an amount to renew that, that certification. And then no one else comes in to, to, to do anything about it. No one else verify that the outcome has been achieved, right? Only once in a while, a random inspector will come in and check, oh, show me your digester. Full stop. That's kind of what they do. Right. So we don't believe in that bullshit. Okay. We say that there's a lot of people that, that have these systems applications, but they don't necessarily follow it. So you don't drive the outcome. Right. And yet, and yet a lot of this, you know, like say in the event space, a lot of these people, you know, they they tend to uh, use all these certifications they have to brag and to command a premium, right? On on the services that they provide. And yet you don't know, right, if they have really achieved the outcome with it or not. Okay, so one of our flagship event is in, I mean, one of our flagship product is in uh, zero waste event certification. So that one was masqueraded because we know that due to this COVID situation, we cannot even hold events anymore, right? So all the deals that we have are lined up for 2020 and even up to 2021 were gone, right? Then our second product was in uh, zero waste uh, restaurants. Ah, that was gone too <laughs> because you can't do the dine-in, right? No, so no dining-in. Yeah, no dining-in. So every, everything was, 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 was screwed over. Um, yeah, so well, we kind of, so so um, for real impact, we, we we kind of pivoted a bit. Now we're actually more focused on, uh, you know, sustainability consulting, impact consulting, right? Uh, we are still doing that. Uh, I used to be the CEO and a co-founder of it, uh, but because I got so many things going on right now, so I took a, 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 a you know, I took a a back step. You know, I I uh, agreed with my co-founder and uh, the the then COO. Right, for him to be the CEO instead and now he's running and I'm just supporting him at the back just like how I have been supporting Poof. Almost you know, like an independent director role. Like what you're yes. doing at Poof. Right, right, right. Correct, correct, correct. Okay. So so now I'm just, you know, still as a co-founder but I'm still supporting him, you know, um, in, in his journey um, to, to, to pivot the company into an impact and sustainability driven uh, consultancy firm. <clears throat> right, so he's on that. Okay, so I'm just supporting him as a partner. Right. Then the last thing uh, is that I'm the current uh, chairman of the Safra Entrepreneurs Club. Well, uh, at least this one is not so bad lah, because uh, this one, you know, as the chairman, you talk and then you have an entire secretary team <laughs> to, to support you to get things moving. So, so first and foremost, I'm very, great, uh, very grateful for, for having, uh, you know, dedicated stuff. I mean, this is, this is probably one of the very few uh, established, you know, uh, like entrepreneur club in Singapore that actually have such well-staffed teams, you know, we have like six full-time Safra staff, you know, that are with us. Full-time Safra staff? Yes, I have six of them, right? So we can, we can just get them to, 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 to work on different stuff, to go into um, the partnerships. I used yeah. to think it was all volunteer-driven, you know? Uh, no, not exactly. So we actually have a full-time, we actually have a full team. We actually have a full team. Um, 
then for the board of directors or, or, or the committee, right? Uh, most of us are, are, are volunteers. Lah. Most of us are volunteers. Well, actually, all of us are volunteers. Okay, so for the board, so I clarify. So for the board, uh, it's volunteers, right? But we have a management team. So the management team are full-time Safra staffs. So I'm the chairman of the board, lah, basically, chairman of the committee, right? Um, so that one is also quite interesting. I originally joined them when I was still in NS. Uh, so that's about, you know, maybe five, six, five, six years ago. So I joined them very, very early. I, I, I was, uh, well, somehow, I, I don't know how, don't ask me, okay, but I got elected to the board. Because <laughs> so I joined as a member first, then I... You know, was just a lingering around, make some friends, maybe make friends with the right people <laughs> inside the club. Then I got elected to the board. Um, and then I have ever since been been uh, been on a committee for about four four years, four years plus already. And, and it's only very recently then uh, they decided to, you know, through another round of election, right? Because you have one to, to put the people up there and then now you have one more to select the leadership, the key office. Uh, appointment, yeah. So through the key of office appointment one, uh, that one was also kind of quite random. Um, well, there's a story behind it. It was quite random because they were just asking me. They said, "Are you keen to put your name up?" They asked me right, for 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 chairmanship. So you kiss you No, I never, I never enthusiastically kiss you lah. I just like uh okay lah, chin chai lah, put law, put law. Uh, then I wasn't even there for the for the entire nomination thing, you know. And then, eh, in the end, I got the most, <laughs> the highest vote count, and I became the chairman. <laughs> uh, then, then obviously, I mean, there, there's a purpose for you to be there, lah. I mean, um, well, I think I did something right, lah. <laughs> I'm sure you did, lah. I mean, the fact of the matter is that you're there, right? And uh, 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 it's it's a certain direction that you need to take, uh. I mean, this brings me to one of the points as well. Like, um, I've I've always been a big believer, right, of reading the signs in that sense. You know, the universe guides your way, blah blah blah, that kind of thing. So, oh, what science? What science do you read? Uh, no, no. Uh, there's the science, as in, like, uh, for example, just anything that speaks to you. Whether or not there's a certain majority that goes this way, why is it? If there's a number of people who are telling you the same thing, even though these people may not even know you, or they may not even know each other. Simple little things like this, and once you start catching on, um, I, I realize that oh, this is something. You know, if um, the if you read The Alchemist, right, that was probably the the key takeaway from the entire thing. It's about reading the science that the universe gives you. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, in retrospect, do you subscribe to this as well? Do you also, have you also noticed these things happening? Well, I, I mean, as in, uh, I don't, I don't actively look for the signs. Oh, no, no, no. Think these things you never know, you never actively look. It's more of something that is uh, uh, being a little bit more sensitive to over time, being uh, aware. Oh, oh, well, well, that's, that's definitely that lah. That's definitely uh, so. So it's a yes. Definitely there 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 are signs. Um, but I think it's mostly go with the flow. I I think how I would look at it is these signs are more of uh, the opportunities that come along the way. Right. Right. Um. So I think if if there's just something that I just want to share with with your 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 podcast listeners, right? It's it's more about you know being very firm in the direction that you want to pursue. So knowing your own mission, knowing your own vision. Um, just like for me, right? I reiterate my point. Mine is about you know how can I, you know, uh, be a key influence figure to encourage and to build you know a more equitable and sustainable future for all, right? So when you know that direction and you're very firm with it, naturally, you know, when you keep working in that direction, you will have a lot of opportunities that come your way. It's about how you filter them and um, these different opportunities, you know, uh, leads up lah, You know, so 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 it's about you know going with the flow. I would say it's, it's a lot about going to flow. The, the science comes, the opportunities comes. Uh, is whether you want to accept it or not. Uh, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's quite, sometimes it's quite interesting on, on how it just appears. Right? Yeah. I give you an example. I, I wasn't planning to do my PhD until uh, much later because you know PhD is a one heck lot of commitment by itself, hmm. right? And that's why they expect you to do full time studies. Only this joker here that's planning to do so many other things along with his PhD, right? So so I wasn't planning to do it. Um, Anytime soon, I was planning to you know keep it all the way until maybe I get Tria more successful, mm. right? Until maybe Tria listed as a you know as a as a company as a public company, you know, then you go and ring the Nasdaq bell or whatever it is, right? Or go to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and, and hit the gong, right? Then afterwards, then I want to start seriously look at doing my PhD, right? But what what happened along the way was uh, I actually got invited to do it, you know, and so it's more of do I take up the offer or not, which I end up taking up the offer. So I mean. 
by this, what I'm trying to illustrate is this science, this um, this opportunity just come along the way. And sometimes if you think that, you know, you are at the right place, right time, you know, just like Chinese, we have this saying, uh, 天时地利人和, you know, when it's all aligned and you think that that aligns with the mission, you know, you that you want to carry out as an individual, then go for it. Yeah. So, so, so that's that. And, and, um, and with that, I also want to proudly say that till today, I don't think I have really applied for a job. It has all been building one or one on another. Yeah. Right. And yeah. capitalize on every opportunity that has come your way like, in that sense. Well, not every, but the ones that yeah. made sense and the ones that spoke to you uh, the most. Precisely, because you see, just like my very early days in, in, in corporate, right? It was rising through the ladder. So that's that, right? And then afterwards, I went a bit into entrepreneurship, right? Then how I got into VC is because I know the managing partner, basically the CEO of the firm. I was a very good friend with him, right? And uh, and I told him, you know, about how I can contribute to his firm, to his success, that sort of stuff. Then that's how I got in. And uh, it was because of him that I met my current mentor, right? Who at that time, you know, uh, was just starting a new, you know, entrepreneurship education program, right? And uh, so she was like looking for someone to help her part-time basis. So I said, hey, you know, I got some spare capacity, lah. you know, I can have a full-time job and work part-time with, with her. And anyway, my, my, my boss then, you know, which is the good friend that they brought me to VC, right, was very supportive of this. And so I end up, you know, doing um, the part-time teaching and research with my current mentor at uh, SIM, right? And then along the way, you know, I fell in love with the work there and then I decided to ditch my boss. <laughs> so I went there full time. So until today, he's still grieving about it. <laughs> That's how he lost. He, he's still grieving about how he lost his employee because <laughs> I got attracted to the other side. So that's how I went into full. So that's how I also moved from uh, part-time teaching and research into full time. And that's where I, I, you know, through that, that I explained earlier, right? That's where restorative innovation came about, right? Then with restorative innovation came real impact. And then with Real Impact came Tria because Tria is actually a, a, a company that we studied uh, for the restorative innovation model. So that's how I get very close with the founders and I know them. And then that's how I also moved into Tria. And then now, you know, through, through my work in restorative innovation, I end up doing a PhD. So, so I, I think uh, sometimes, you know, in life, it's, it's just about opportunities coming to knock on the door. Just So I got this belief. Lah. I just think that um, every day, huh, or... You just need to do how, do man. You know, do do to the best, right? And do to the maximum that you can, right? And just keep going on with that momentum in that direction. So be very focused in the direction that you want to go to, and naturally you will have a lot of doors, you know, um, coming your way. You will walk past them, and it's better which door you want to open or not. So in a way, believe science, like I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really true. It's really true. I mean, all this the, the stories can be told in a hundred different ways, right? At the same time, the, the the essence of it always remains the same. The lessons drawn from it will always remain the same. You know, do your best, carry on, uh, basically stay the course, lah, right? as you see yeah. fit, of course. So one of the things is that as we keep going along, right, I, I'm also wondering, like, in the path of things like self-realization or, and all this, you know, I'm not even going to go to whole, you know, no, I, I don't want to talk about going to Nirvana. Lah. This one is a bit different. Lah. But <laughs> the thing go is that the Northern Light. <laughs> The thing is that when it comes to, um, like, for example, self-improvement, right, we're all very conscious about it. And do you kind of, like, set targets for yourself or set certain traits for yourself saying that, okay, this year I need to focus on something. That how, What am I going to better in? Something that my past failure kind of just is driving me toward this particular direction and how, where I need to improve. Yeah, I do, I do. And I, I think... So you're conscious, of, you're conscious about it, lah. Very, very conscious. I, I think before that, I think you brought a very good word. The word is conscious. Before that, you need to be even conscious about uh, what's happening. So it all comes with self-awareness, right? I think, you know, the, the, there's two groups of people. Um, there's one, people who are, you know, very stubborn, you know, who, who are not open-minded. And one thing that I learned from my mentor is about being very open-minded, right? Um, you see, people tend to have I mean, as humans, right, we have, a, we have a limited cognitive ability, right, to be very honest. Like, I mean, you try to work, uh, say, 20 hours a day, right, on full speed, you will wear out, you will burn out, right? So, so we, have, we have limited cognitive, you know, ability. And so, you know, we tend to take mental shortcuts, right? 
And so when we tend to take mental shortcuts, you know, that tends to influence the kind of uh, decisions that we make, the kind of perspective and positions that we take. Okay. Now, where I'm trying to drive at, it's that we should all be open-minded and be willing to give ourselves the opportunity to not bucket ourselves into either you're successful, not successful, you know, doing well, not doing well, whatever it is, but take a, take a stand to really deeply reflect on yourself, know who you are, right? Know your strengths, know your weaknesses. In fact, I will always say it's more important to know your weaknesses because your weaknesses are often the one that will cause your downfall. <laughs> Right, not so much your strength, right? I mean, you know your strength, cool, what are you going to do about it? Brag, <laughs> right? There's no point to keep bragging about it, right? It's about knowing your weaknesses and then taking the opportunity to, to you know, correct it, right? If if it's possible, like, you know, either through habits or whatnot. So, totally agree with you, you know, um, and, and consciousness and, and being self-aware, you know, is the, the first step to doing that. Uh, so, for myself, um. I realize that, you know, we've been doing so many things. Uh, I tend to lack focus sometimes. I mean, as much as overall, the big picture, you know, um, the big, the, the, the core mission, you know, I'm very focused on it and I'm definitely walking down that path, right? It's just that, you know, the branches, there are too many things that are branching out and sometimes switching between one to another becomes quite tiring also, right? So, so, so I'm thinking, you know, um, that, that, uh, Maybe, you know, well, actually for 2020, my, my key goal was to really focus, to look at how I can uh, kill off some commitments. Because there's this saying, right? The way to be more productive, the way to be two times more productive is to have half the commitments, right? So you kill half to get two times the productivity, right? So, so there's this saying, and, and, I, and it's something that stuck with me uh, at the end of 2019. So in 2020, I was actually quite focused, you know, or, or rather I was quite determined to... to you know, uh, look at all my commitments, you know, reevaluate them, right, and try to streamline them. And, and I think I, I did a bit of improvement in that area where I managed to, you know, despite having so much, still at the same time, overlapping, you know, uh, overlapping areas. Like, for example, uh, the work that I do with the right foundation in a non-profit thing where we advance the body of knowledge, that's actually research, right? And the research can also be used to publish papers, right? Where I can use to build on for my own PhD, you know? So, so it all intertwines with each other. Like, that's kind of the way I'm trying to streamline things right now and not to load in even more stuff. Yeah, so, so focus, uh, you know, having the, the, the focus, you know, is, is something that I'm looking at uh, this year, like, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so you do set all these goals, uh, Basically, goal setting is a big part of of the start of the year and all this, uh. Well, not so much at the start of the year, la. I think as as and when, uh, I notice that there is something that needs to be addressed. Right. It's an ongoing about, process, la. Yes. Yes. And at the end of the day, it's about your consistency and the momentum, right? So you need to constantly be trying to improve yourself, and you don't need to wait until the start of the year. I mean, a lot of people say, "Oh, I got a New Year resolution," but heck, like actually, you can start. You know, you can start your resolution anytime. If you don't follow through with it, it doesn't make a difference, right? Even if it doesn't mean that you start on 1st January every year, you know, then, then miraculously you will be able to achieve it. It doesn't work that way. I mean, if it works that way, I will have just packed everything on the first day of the, of the year, right? But it doesn't work that way, you know? Yeah, so, so I, I think it's, a, it's an ongoing process, right? You know, self-improvement, uh, enrichment, it's, all, it's an ongoing process. But it all starts with self-awareness. Definitely, definitely. I, this, this is something that's that's very interesting, I think. And uh, uh, actually, this brings me to the final segment for the podcast, which I normally like to do. So uh, it's just seven questions. First one for you. One word that you love the most. Hustle. One trait that you dislike the most. No action, talk only. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. Well, just... Just take another minute to explain this. There's so many people out there that are NATO. I mean, you see, there's a two spectrum of entrepreneurs, okay? I always tell people, and this is a dichotomy that you can observe for yourself. On one hand, you've got people who are full of substance, but they don't talk about it. You know, because they are just everyday hustling, getting the deals in, you know, working their ass out. And on the other hand, you get people, well, there's a lot of people like that, okay? out there, you know, getting all the glory, you know, uh, being everywhere in the media, you know, but when you really look at the work that they do, huh, there's no much substance, to be honest. 
they just talk. They just talk. They're just very good at talking, right? So, so, so NATO, because really, I, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, you know, that are on the other spectrum, you know, they have substance, but they just don't actively talk about it because they don't even have time to sleep. <laughs> so they don't talk about it. They just get the thing done, move on, get the thing done, move on, but they have done so much. Yeah. So NATO is a word that I really don't like. And who are your heroes in life? Family is one. Uh, and then of course, I, I think, I think, you know, um, it's just a quick shout out to everyone who crossed path in my life. Like, because I think, you know, even yourself at Drake, right? We all learn from each other. And I think, you know, um, as long as we, we cross path, we interacted, you know, there's always some takeaways we, we can learn from one another. Like even if the guy is an asshole, you know, you at least learn how to tell if a guy is an asshole. True. <laughs> right? So so I think, you know, everyone that we have crossed path in life, uh, they contributed one way or another. Like. All right. Something a little closer to home. Favorite dish and place to eat. Favorite dish, uh, something soupy, uh, yong tau hu. I quite like yong tau hu, to okay. be honest. Where do you recommend? Well, actually, I think all yong tau hu is good, you know. Next question looks a little bit further ahead. Uh, what does retirement look like to you? You know, so, so on, on retirement, right, a lot of people uh, see retirement as an absolute, right? Like by a certain age, we, we have to retire and... We drop everything you know, and then trouble already after that. Correct, correct. I, I don't think it works that way. Um, and likewise, you know, whenever people talk about, you know, so adjacent to this retirement topic, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. I think work-life balance is also bullshit because that is where you, you're trying to dissect to say, okay, so work time is work, right? Life, you know, your, your free time is your free time. But actually, most of the time, you know, it's all about work-life integration because work is going to be part of your life. And I think it becomes more prominent, you know, during this uh, work-from-home scenario. You start to realize that everything's all mixed together, but it has always been like that, right? And that's why you see the entrepreneurs, they don't embrace work-life balance because the entrepreneurs well, work all day, all night, work 18 hours a day. Why? Because they believe in that work so much that they think it's their life mission to fulfill it. Right. It's not a job. It's not a job, right? So it's not a job to them. It's just a passion and it's just some things that they do along the way to move the needle, right? So same thing for, for, for retirement. I think as long as I find something that I continue to enjoy that is still very much with my life purpose or maybe more life purpose that I have in the future that I add on along the way, you know, like maybe give, giving back to the, to the next generation or something, right? As long as, you know, it's a line and it's within my capacity to do it, right? It's going to be part of life, you know? It's not just like you retire from job completely, right? So, so, I, wouldn't, so I wouldn't say that I would retire. I, I think it's more about, you know, how I can contribute, continue to, to, to live a meaningful and purposeful life. Now, how do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? Um, not wealth, for sure. Uh, maybe a little bit of fame. Because I, I, because I, I shared earlier, right? Um, that my, my, my life mission is, is about influencing people. And I think uh, fame is a natural output of it, lah, you know, to be able to influence people. Um, I think, you know, how I want to people to remember me, it's really if I'm able to change or influence. Okay, so i give you an example, right? So I haven't determined exactly, you know, what it is, right? But I'll give you an example, you know, it's just like my work with restorative innovation. If you know, down the road, 10, 20 years down the road, you know, we are able to get more business leaders to think about restorative innovation, you know, because they are aware of this concept and they know about this concept, they know about the power of this concept, they adopt it into their practice and that changes the way they operate, you know, for the betterment of society, right? Or likewise for Tria, same thing, if we are able to get, you know, big companies right and influence them to make the switch don't think so much about cost right so this this companies um you know could be your fast food chains like your mcdonald's your kfc's not so not every day be so focused on the cost but think about the value that they can bring from a sustainability angle then i think that's a big win that's a big win already in my life so it's about influencing people to make the difference and to make the change so that we all together we get to have more equitable world and a more sustainable world Wow, that's, uh, that's a great closing statement. Of course. <laughs> okay, man. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for having me, right, Drake. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, so uh, if, if uh, for those who are listening, all right, check out Joven Tan. Uh, just look for him on Google. I'm sure you find a lot of information and um, probably not all the information that you've heard of today. All right, so thanks so much for listening. Joven, thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.